So this week, probably the message that I've looked forward to the most in this series, because I think it's the one that we might need the most. I got pretty passionate when I thought about gracing ourselves, but as I look around at how we're treating each other and how people are treating each other these days, we've got to learn, right, again, how to grace each other. And that was really the inspiration. This sermon was really the inspiration for this whole series, is that as we're learning to be around people again, as we're learning to, you know, gather and gather in different ways and and all of those things, we've also got to remember how to treat people. We've got to remember grace and remember how to grace each other. And so I want you to know I've thought a ton about this message. I've looked, uh, uh, done more research for this message than probably any other message in the series when it comes to grace. Um, And if you're taking notes uh, or if you're a note taker, um, just be sure, get your pen ready because I think today's going to be a good day. You ready? It starts in John chapter 1, and we're going to look at John chapter 1 again the Sunday before Christmas when we talk about the love of God and sending Jesus, right? And that'll be the Christmas message, so just a little bit of a teaser. And so when you come here the Sunday before Christmas, just forget this message and listen to that one at that time. But there's one section of John chapter 1 that I want to point out this morning that's pivotal for us when we think about grace, And I'm just going to read one verse right now, talk a little bit, and then we'll come back, we'll read the whole thing. But John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Somebody say full. Full of grace and truth. And, and, and so here, here's, here's our launching pad. Here's kind of the main idea of our message this morning. If Jesus came full of grace and truth, how much more should we as his followers be full of grace and truth? How much more should we as his followers be full of grace and truth? Ephesians 5.1, Paul tells the church at Ephesus to imitate Christ, therefore as his dear children. So if we as the body of Christ are to be imitators of Christ, then we ought to imitate Christ by being full, somebody say again, full, I just want to make sure you got it, of grace and truth. Not just grace and lying to each other, right, enabling each other. Um, um, you know, tolerating each other because I think that's one of the biggest tensions when it comes to this message. I've been asked often, how much grace is too much grace? Right? Because if I, if I, if I allow Matt to continually treat me a certain way, right, and, and show up 30 minutes late for stuff and not be there when I need Matt to be there and, you know, continually let me down time after time after time or make me a promise or something and then not able to deliver. And, and, and so time after time after time, Matt makes these promises to me and then doesn't deliver. And then I just excuse it and say, oh, man, I'm just, I'm just giving extra grace to Matt. This is an extra grace required guy. You know what I'm actually doing? It, 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 it comes to a point where it's not grace anymore, it's enabling. It's tolerance. And Matt's not getting better. And, I, and Matt's not growing. 
And I'm getting more hurt and more hurt, and I'm starting to get bitter towards Matt because Matt's just never going to grow up, is he, Emily? I'm just kidding. I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. Right? But you get the picture. And so how, where do we draw the line of grace, right? How much grace is too much? And if Jesus came full of grace and truth, what's the balance between the two? Because therein lies the solution. That if Jesus came full of grace and truth, then at some point it transitions from grace to truth. Right? When does that happen? It's a great question. That's what I want us to look at today. There's a term that I want us to unpack. I've thrown the term around before. It's a relatively new term. It's maybe been around about five years or so. Maybe a little longer than that. But it's, it's gaining more and more popularity as more and more people are writing articles about it. There's now books about it. And it's this term that I've thrown around a few times called post-Christian culture. Okay, post-Christian culture. Instead of throwing that out there to you today, I want to talk to you about what a post-Christian culture is. Is that all right? Okay, so we're going to be here a while. But post-Christian is someone who has had some connection with Christianity and have chosen to reject it. Someone that's had some connection to Christianity and chosen to reject it. They know about Jesus and have just chosen not to care. Now, the level of that, they could be a Christer, a Christmas and Easter person, right? And had some connection with Jesus and just chosen not to care the other 363 days of the year, right? They could be, they could be somebody that went to Christian summer camp, right? And for a week was on fire for Jesus and snow tubing and waffles and all these different things that they were passionate about at summer camp. And then they go home and reality sets in and they go right back to the person that they were before they went to summer camp. But a post-Christian, someone that's had some connection with Jesus, maybe they were in the kids' choir, maybe they grew up in church, and then they went off to college and kind of disassociated with church, as happens so often. But they had some connection with church and have now chosen to reject it, chosen to not care anymore. And for a long time, for a long time, we were considered a Christian nation. But over time, faith moved from the center to the fringes. And it shifted from something that many say is a positive to even be considered a threat by some people, by some groups of people. In fact, just the term Christian doesn't mean what it used to. There are churches, there are groups of people that even have gotten away from Christian that will even say, we're not Christian, we're Christ followers. Right? But Christian means little Christ, so I don't know how you get away from that. But just the term Christian doesn't mean what it used to. It's, it's taken on a whole different meaning because in fact, most of the time when you hear the word Christian, it's somebody that's referring to a hypocrite. Someone that's bigoted. Someone that's hateful, even judgmental, right? And this post-Christian culture, oh man, has taken over. And the question that we want to deal with this morning that we've got to ask ourselves is how do we faithfully represent Jesus in a post-Christian culture? How do we faithfully show grace today without being tolerant? While standing on the truth of God's word, 
by not giving people Christianity light. Because here's, here's what I truly believe, and I've said this over and over again, mostly in small groups, but I think it's come out once or twice on a Sunday morning when I didn't mean it to. I believe that we are paying the price today as a church in 2020 for the seeker-sensitive movement of the late 90s and the early 2000s that said, just, just come. It doesn't matter what... It doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus or act a certain way. We care more about the numbers in our churches than we do about you. Essentially. And, and church became building this big thing. This production. Paying worship team musicians and singers. Pastors in super skinny jeans and deep V's. To be cool and to attract people, but not to give them Jesus. And today, you can have 10 conversations with 10 people that call themselves Christian and get 10 completely different ways of life and living. There's no standard. And so, how do we faithfully show grace, represent Jesus in a post-Christian culture? Because here's the truth, before we dive back into John chapter 1, a divided world needs a united church. A divided world needs, needs, and I believe is searching and desperate for whether they like it or not, whether they'll believe it or not. A united church. Go back to John chapter 1. Let's look a little bit more at what John writes here in John chapter 1. And the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. We've seen His glory. Glory is from the Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He comes after me, ranks before me, because He was before me. We're going to talk about that the Sunday before Christmas. But basically, John sets the stage for Jesus, the love of Christ. Okay, now that you've got that message. Verse 16, And from His fullness, there it is again, we have all received, underline all, star all, because again, we have all received grace upon grace. Now before we go to verse 17, that's why I love that definition of grace that we talked about three weeks ago. The favorable disposition of God toward sinners on the account of Christ. You remember why the toward sinners is so important? Because that means we're all included. Right? That means we all have access to Christ. We all have access to grace. Because I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, and grace is for the sinner. That's encouraging. That's encouraging. And so the fullness... We have all received grace upon grace. Verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ... No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. He has made Him known. In His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. 
We're called to live and love full of grace and truth. Now, before we keep going, let's talk about that word full. You know what full means? Full. Full means full. It means abounding. It means filled to the brim. The Greek word for full is pleris. And it means thoroughly full. Thoroughly full. I wanted to illustrate it to you. Okay, I filled it up even more than I had it in the first service. I got a cup of water. Okay? And this is a full cup of water. You know how I know it's full? Because if I start shaking it at all, it starts, it's just water, y'all. It's okay. And I'm not going to dump the whole thing out on the floor. You should see when we do baptisms. It's a lot of fun. Okay? But full to where if you shake it at all, it's going to spill over. Right? That's the picture of full. So the fact that Jesus came in fullness, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. That his love for you, right, was full of grace, but it was also full of truth. Spilling over, abounding, thoroughly. See, I just spilled some putting it down. Thoroughly full. Thoroughly full. And so why does it matter? Why does the fact that he came full of grace and truth matter? Two reasons. Number one, grace saves. Truth frees. Grace saves. Truth frees. Grace saves. Truth frees. And the reality is that we're typically, each and every one of us are on one of the extreme sides of this. Right? We err on the extreme side of truth or the extreme side of grace. Let's start with truth. If we err on the extreme side of truth, truth is great and powerful, but if you're all truth, you can become downright mean, out of touch, and or judgmental, right? If you're full of truth and, 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 and there's no grace and, and you drop the and, right, it's great and powerful, but you could be characterized as mean. Let's talk about the full of grace person. If you're erring on the side of the extreme of fully grace, hey, doesn't matter what you do, bro, God loves you. Now, while that's true, right? God's love for us is never ending, right? It's eternal, right? But it's almost like we enable people to just keep on sinning, keep on sinning, and keep on sinning, and God's just going to forgive us. We're going to read a verse later that talks about that. Or maybe a better way to put it is, if we're full of grace, right, we err on that extreme, you do you. You do you. Do we see how dangerous this is? Can we see how dangerous this can be? Because these two extremes create two extremely big problems. Number one, truth without grace leads to rebellion. We've seen that, haven't we? The super strict parents that are strict for 18 years and then their child goes off to college and they go crazy and they go wild with the first hint of freedom. Anybody have that? No, don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. It's rules and religion without relationship. Rules and religion without relationship. Truth without grace leads to rebellion. And the second 
extremely big problem is that grace without truth leads to relativism. What's relativism? I'm glad you asked, Brian. You can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. The belief that there is really no such thing as absolute truth, and because no such thing is truth, no one can tell me how to live. If there's no absolute truth, then no one can tell me how to live. And it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're happy. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Because, and we love this because in this there's love and acceptance. There's no standard. We love relativism because we can be whoever we want to be and there's no standard. I was in senior Bible class, senior in high school, and the one thing they did at my, my school, my high school, is all the seniors had Bible class together. So there's 21 of us, yes, you heard that right, 21 of us, in a classroom for senior Bible. And the whole year we talked about biblical worldview. That's what we studied, my senior Bible class. And um, it was about three, four, maybe five or six weeks into the class, but it was early on in the year. And our teacher was Wayne Smith, and Mr. Smith got up there. Mr. Smith was from South Africa. Loved listening to, to, I loved listening to him talk and preach. He could put you right to sleep. His voice was unbelievable. It was so, so good. And Mr. Smith got up again, let's just say five or six weeks into class, and he gets behind his little lectern and he says, is there such thing as absolute truth? And Mr. Smith goes and he sits down at his desk and he picks a pen up and starts writing. Kind of like, kind of like a psychologist, you know, he lets us kind of debate. And he's just over there like, huh, taking notes, right? Just drove me crazy. Anyway, but we kick it around for about 20 minutes as a class. The class is 50 minutes long. He lets us debate back and forth for about 20 minutes. 21 high school students, high school seniors that knew everything, right? We knew everything. We were high school seniors. We were about to graduate. We knew it all, right? And so we're debating this back and forth for about 20 minutes. We finally got to the place. As a class, 21 of us, we were so smart. We said, Mr. Smith, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Mr. Smith gets up from his desk comes back to his lectern, leans over it like he's looking into each and every one of our souls and says, are you absolutely sure about that? <laughs> and he goes back, sits down at his desk and starts writing again. And for the next 20 minutes, we're arguing everything that we had just argued for the last 20 minutes and come up with the fact that there's no absolute truth. Right? Scripture says that if you are going to follow Christ, it means some things. Now, does it mean the same thing for every person in the room? No. That's the beauty of God's love. That's the beauty of the fact that He created Travis to be Travis, and God knows we don't need another Travis. Right? He created Mike to be Mike and Dylan to be Dylan and Lori to be Lori and Bruce to be Bruce and, and, and we don't need another Bruce or Dylan or Mike. But in Scripture, following Jesus means some things. It's not just, hey, you do you. You do you. Because that leads to relativism. And it's not just, hey, 
you got to act a certain way if you're going to be around here. you got to cut your hair a certain way. There's some piercings that you're not allowed to have that you're, you shouldn't. I mean, we, we, we can't hold those things up. We can't. Because that's just as a dangerous extreme as relativism. If we start throwing religion in people's faces without relationship and putting God in a box and saying God can only love the people that look a certain way, act a certain way, listen to a certain type of music. You see where I'm going? So let's go a little bit deeper with that. Grace saves, truth frees. I want to look at these words a little bit deeper. Grace. The Greek word for grace is kairos. It's undeserved kindness, favor, the goodwill of God. Romans 2.4, it's your kindness, Lord, that leads to repentance. Grace saves. It's undeserved. When you get to the place where you think you deserve grace, guess what? It's not grace anymore. It's not grace anymore. Paul addresses this when he writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I was going to go 1 through 9, but let's just throw 10 in for good measure. Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh relativism, carrying out the desires of our body, you do you and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, anytime you see those two words in scripture, you know something good is about to follow, but God, I lost my place, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Grace saves and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ so that in the coming ages he might show, the, the, show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. For we're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know the grace of God in your life. You know the grace of God in your life. Listen to me. Created in Christ Jesus, not for status quo, for good works. Now, it may not be what he's got, but it's good. And God's called you to be faithful with the good in your life. See, one of the biggest, one of the biggest things that stands in the way of us and grace towards one another is this thing called comparison. Right? This thing called comparison. Matt and I were talking at the front door this morning about Brian walking in. And we were talking about, man, that guy, that guy's just awesome. He's got so much to offer. 
He's got so much to offer. His, his wife, Judy, incredible. I'm sorry to do this. It's not planned because um, I obviously didn't do it in the first service. Three daughters, three daughters. That, that, and, 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 and Brian has got an amazing testimony. And Matt and I were like, oh, man, isn't that awesome? Man, wouldn't it be great to be Brian one day? But you know the problem with that? God didn't create me to be Brian. My good is different than Brian's good. I can emulate some things about Brian and the way he got to the place he got and the, the, the strong love that he and his wife feel for each other, right? I can emulate some things. I can imitate some things, right? But my good that God created me for is different than God's good for Brian that he was called to be faithful with. And so many times in church, grace is impossible for us because we're just trying to compare ourselves to the next person and seeing how we don't measure up. But listen to me. God didn't place Brian in my life so that I could try to measure up to Brian. God placed Jesus in my life so that Jesus could walk with me and I could spend eternity with him and measure up to him. Imitate Christ, therefore, as his dear children. Not imitate Brian. Not imitate your pastor. Not imitate your church leader. Imitate Christ, therefore, as his dear Children, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Which God prepared beforehand. I love that. In God's grace, He's mapped it out for you. In God's grace, He's mapped it out for you. Now, grace and truth. Let's deal with this before we move on. I don't believe... There are many coincidences in the Bible. I don't believe there are many coincidences in the Bible. I think Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. Well, I'll prove it. I don't have to. Okay? I just don't think there are many uh, coincidences in the Bible. And John says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And I think grace is first on purpose. Because as we talk about grace, this unmerited favor, this kindness, all of that, we lead with grace, then proclaim truth. We lead with grace, then proclaim truth. In fact, in fact, if I had to say, you know, we got to err on a side, right? I will always err on the side of grace. I will always err on the side of grace. But I want you to think about your row. I know some of you don't have anybody in your row. But think about a few people in the church, right? Just picture them sitting next to you in your row. I want to show you a typical row at Summit Church. Is that all right? Over here, we've got a mom. Young mom. She's a good mom. Fantastic wife. She, she's faithful. She does a good job. But she has this love-hate relationship with one of her friends. She doesn't understand why God blesses her friends so much and doesn't bless her. We talked about comparison a few minutes ago, and she lets this comparison just get the best of her repeatedly. Then we've got her husband. Her husband, man, he's, he's sharp. He's got it all together. He shaves every day. I only shave like twice a week. 
right? I mean, he just, he keeps it together. Every time you see him, you just think, man, that guy has got it going on. Very successful businessman. But he's not generous at all. He loves money. He loves what money can do for him, the security that he can give his family. He thinks that's why she loves him. And it's because of how successful he is as a businessman, and that's his worth. And so he, he fights like crazy just to, make, just to stay successful to, so that she'll love him and so that his kids will give him the time of day. And he thinks that's the key for him. Next to him is a Sunday school teacher. She taught him in Sunday school, and now she's teaching his kids in Sunday school. She's taught Sunday school for 30 years. Faithful, faithful, loves the Lord. But her mom did something to her about 31 years ago, and she can't forgive her. She's been hanging on to it. She's been hanging on to this unforgiveness. And every holiday is terrible for her because she just walks around on eggshells trying not to ruffle any feathers. And then we get to this guy. This guy's the hardest one for me to like. Man, he's religious. You look at him, you think, man, does that guy even sin? Like, like if there's a picture of Jesus, you know, I, I mean... I don't know. He just does, he's, he's religious. He's at church every Sunday. He's at church every time the doors are open. He looks down at the rest of the row and wonders what in the world is wrong with these people. He's better than everybody. And then we get to this guy. Now, this guy is the one that I'm told about at Christmas time. Hey, my son's coming home from college. And he's coming to church Christmas Eve. So if you could just preach a really good Christmas Eve message and give an invitation, he might give his life to Jesus this year. This is the partier. This is the guy that's at every college party, ruined more relationships than he can count because he's just careless. He's just careless. Let me ask you something. Who needs grace? Who needs grace? We could keep going, couldn't we, Bree? We could keep going. We could add a chair. We could add 10 chairs up there. Who needs grace? The, 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 the key thing that I want you to see with grace. Oh, sorry. See, it's so full. The key, the key thing I want you to see with grace is that grace is something that every person in the room needs. No matter where you're sitting in that chair, in that row, we all need grace. Inadvertently, we get grace wrong. Without meaning to, we say that you have to behave first. If you believe and behave, you can belong in the body of Christ as long as you behave. That's not the gospel. Come to me as you are and I will give you life. The body of Christ is a place to belong before you believe. The body of Christ is a place to belong before 
You behave. Let's talk about truth. Full of grace and truth. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. We talked about this a little bit earlier. What shall we say then? Are we, con- are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Truth isn't restrictive. It's freeing. Grace saves. Truth frees. Truth isn't just rules and regulations. Truth is, if you're taking those, write this down. Truth is a person. Truth isn't a what. Truth is a who. John 14, 6, Jesus is talking. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The truth is a person. John 8, 31, 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth sets us free. Grace saves, truth frees. So let's go back to our row, right? We got our young mom over here, right? Jealousy of a friend, comparison. Listen to me, mom. Listen to me, young mother. God loves you. He's crazy about you. He desires you. He wants your heart. But you got to deal with that envy. It's a sin. And the way you just talked about her to your two other friends and gossiped, that's a sin too. And the truth is, you got to deal with that. You got to deal with that. Listen to me, businessman. I'm proud of you. You're good at what you do. You're good at what you do. You've built a successful business. I'm, pr- I'm so proud of you. But it's better to give than to receive. The truth is, you can't take it with you. And it'd be awesome if you would write a check this morning. You can scratch that last line out. The Sunday school teacher. Aren't you tired of holidays being miserable? Forgive her. She's moved so past it, she doesn't even remember what you're holding on to. And yet you're letting it cripple your every move. You're letting it dictate every relationship. You're letting it ruin your marriage. Because you're just waiting for him to do the same thing she did to you. Can I tell you something? There's a house in Gorham. I drive by two, three times a week. Kid you not. And every time I drive by it, I start feeling frustrated. Because of how he treated me. And if I'm not careful, when I drive that route on the way home, 
when I drive by that house and I think about that guy that's in that apartment, man, my blood could boil. I'd get so angry. The way he treated me, the lies he told about me. But there are days I walk around Hannaford just praying I run into him so I can give him a hug. I know he didn't mean to. I know unforgiveness. I know forgiveness is hard. But I'm not going to let it cripple me. And the truth is, if you're battling unforgiveness, how long are you going to let it cripple you? I know it's flippant, and I know Disney wants to tell you to let it go. But the truth is, it's that easy. It'll creep back up. Fear will creep back up that other people are going to do the same thing. But unforgiveness can be toxic in your life. To the college guy or girl. Listen, man, you've, you've hurt more people than you realize. And you're having fun in the moment, but you're sitting there thinking around at midnight, one in the morning, the next day. You're broken. You're empty. The truth is, there's a better way. There's a better way. There's a better way. And His name's Jesus. I mean, in that same verse, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. He's not just the truth. This Christian life is not just a bunch of rules and regulations. That, that Bible over there, it's not just a rule book. It's a life plan. It's a life plan. I can show you a better way. And the truth is that every single person in this row needs grace. The question is, are you going to give it to them? I know it's driving you some, some of you crazy that I skipped a chair. <laughs> but I didn't skip a chair. The truth is, this one's mine. I said in the a little earlier that this is the hardest person for me to like. You know why? Because I know this guy. I know him in and out. When I moved up here January 15th of 2011, never forget driving to Maine. I googled Chick-fil-A and that night, January 15th, we, tried, we, we drove like two hours out of the way just to try to get to Chick-fil-A in Massachusetts. We couldn't even find it. Waste of time. But I came here because I was coming to save you. I was coming to save Maine. Just like that little kid in that senior high school Bible class, I still knew everything. And I thought in six months, this church would be eight, nine hundred people. They'd write about me. They'd invite me to speak in big conferences with like Andy Stanley and all these cool guys that I thought I wanted to be like. Let me tell you something. If you sit in this chair 
if I walked down this, this row and, and this resonated with you, let me, let me, the truth is, pride comes before the fall. You either humble yourself or God will do it for you. And I know that. Because I wasn't smart enough to get it the first time. He had to do it a second time. God has broken me twice in the last 10 years because of my pride. That's hard to talk about. I got to do it a whole nother time at 6.30. One was enough. Man, this is nice. I'm not struggling to breathe anymore. It's been one heck of a year. Y'all, I can't tell you the number of times in the last 10 months I've doubted myself. If we're doing the right thing, if we're putting you in danger, I still worry about that. The last thing any of us want is to end up on the front page of the Portland Press Herald. We're trying to do this as best as we possibly can. And I promise you, I promise you, the next time we have a global pandemic, the next time we face social unrest like we did in the last, over the summer, we're still dealing with it, aren't we? In four years, when we have another election as fun as this one, I'll do a better job. I know what to expect now. And Dylan and Ian have shown me they can accomplish pretty much anything. I say all of that to say the thing I've realized the most in the last 10 months as we've dealt with this pandemic, it hasn't been 10 months, well, however long it's been. This year, is that we all need grace. I need grace. I know you need grace. So instead of kicking each other while we're down, why don't we err on the side of grace and lead with grace and proclaim truth? I experienced this in a big way a few years ago. I told you. It took me twice. I decided one night that I was going to confront a guy that was just like me. Dwayne, you've probably seen this, right? You, could, you, can, see, you can see how it's going to go for them. And you've, you've experienced the pain. You've felt it. You've felt the sleepless night. You've preached, the, you've preached the sermon when nobody in the room liked you and they all wish you'd just go back to North Carolina in the land of fried chicken and sweet tea. And so I went to a guy that was on that same path and I said, listen, bro, this doesn't end well for you. This doesn't end well for you. 
Let me, let me, let me tell you exactly what's going to happen. You know what he did? He told me to get out. He told me to get out. He said, you don't know anything. Get out. Yes, sir. Got out. I didn't lead with grace. I tried to go in there and just tell him the truth. I didn't lead with grace. Lori, I didn't earn the right to be heard. And so many of us with the best of intentions, we see the path that they're going down. We see the path and we're like, look man, let me just help you with this. You can't take that money with you. Forgive her. It's not worth holding on to. Don't compare. You're God's workmanship. He's created you for good works. Just be faithful with what God's blessed you with. Instead of sitting down and saying, listen, tell me your story. Let me earn the right to be heard in your life. Grace saves. Truth frees. And so many of us slam the door shut on relationships and on grace because we try to lead with truth instead of lead with grace. See, the thing about the post-Christian culture It's not Jesus they have a problem with. It's the distorted view of Jesus that we're giving them. It's the fact that we're not showing them who Jesus really is. Whoa, but pastor, oh, pastor, stop. You want to sit here? We've got to humbly come back to the place where we recognize grace, true grace, has to come first. I'll never forget sitting in an office about 2015 playing darts with Dylan. That's what we do around here when it's not Sunday morning. I'm just kidding. They've taken the dartboard away now. I don't even know where it's at. We were much more effective back then. We were talking about grace and truth. And out of Dylan's mouth, he said this. You can have truth without grace, but you can't have grace without truth. Grace without truth is tolerance. Grace without truth is not grace. And if Jesus came full of grace and truth, how much more should we exhibit grace and truth? I've got more. But just like in the first service, I feel like this is where we need to close it down. And my question for you is very simple. It's kind of twofold. Are you experiencing the fullness of God in grace and truth? Are you experiencing the fullness of God? And are you reflecting the fullness of God to others?
and grace and truth. Are you reflecting the I'm tripping over everything, Christine. Are you reflecting the fullness of God in grace and truth? Typically, I would say this is the week, right? Family's going to be around. You may not be gathering with family, but I want you to think about the people in your life. Think about the people you're going to see this week. Think about the people you're going to ride in the car with when you leave here. What's what's their need of the hour? What's their need of the hour? And are you willing to reflect Jesus to them? Lead with grace. Proclaim truth.